This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. I'm Gordon Smith, and this is the Sons of Melchizedek program. Welcome, Father Jonathan Meyer. Yeah, so I am a priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, and I do not serve in Indianapolis proper. I serve in Dearborn County. I'm now the pastor of all four parishes in Dearborn County, which would be St. Teresa, St. Lawrence, St. Mary's, and also All Saints, which used to be four separate parishes. I'm pastor of, with another priest, Father Dan Mayen. God bless you for that. Thank you for your vocation. It's a real blessing to have you. How long have you been a priest? Uh, I have been a priest for 19 years, and I'm actually looking forward to this October. I'll be celebrating my 20th anniversary as a deacon uh, with my classmates from seminary. My college seminary was done at St. John Vianney Seminary in the Twin Cities, and my major theology or my uh, graduate work was done at the North American College in Rome. So, Father Meyer, what is the story of your vocation? What caused you to want to become a priest? And the easiest response is God's grace, who invited me to a relationship with Him, and once I fell in love with Him, I wanted to bring that love to others. That's the real simple answer to that question. The more complicated and longer version is the fact that I was a student at the University of Southern Indiana in Evansville. I was a cradle Catholic. I was born and raised uh, in the Catholic faith. And during my sophomore year at the University of Southern Indiana in Evansville, I fell away from the church, became a non-denominational Christian. But it was in that time uh, as a non-denominational Christian that I actually heard God call me to be a priest. And so I terribly wanted to help people fall in love with Jesus. And my experience, as sad as it is, was that most Catholics didn't really love Jesus because I didn't love Jesus. I didn't really know him. I didn't have a personal relationship with him. I didn't uh, really live my life completely consecrated and dedicated to him. And so I felt very called to become a priest so I could help other individuals who were Catholic to come to know and experience uh, the love of Jesus. And so... In doing so, I, thanks be to God, I actually discovered, or one maybe some would say rediscovered, uh, the truth of Catholicism, the beauty of Catholicism. And, yeah, so I can honestly say that, you know, that was in 1997, and all those years that I still have the exact same mission. I have no other desire but to bring people to Jesus, to bring people to conversion, to bring people to renewal. And I do that mainly... Uh, by working with those who who are in the church uh, that may be lukewarm or not living out their faith uh, to the full and trying to make an impact in their lives. Well, you don't want to be a lukewarm Catholic. 
I think he gets spit out and uh, something to that effect, right? Yeah, the book of the book of Revelation is pretty uh, pretty clear about what happens to those who are lukewarm in their faith, and we don't want any of that clearly. Now, uh, some people would call you a traditional priest. I kind of call you the original Cassock classic because you are a Cassock priest, and um, I, I love that. I love that. But tell us about what that means to you, wearing a cassock and and demonstrating a true love for the church and all the honor and, and mysticism that goes behind that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. I think it's a very interesting question within itself. Like, what does it mean to be a traditional Catholic? I mean, I, for, so I always have to say, like, I'm not into politics. I'm into just being authentic. So I live out my Catholic faith to the full every single day. And to do that means that you embrace, like, as a Catholic, we embrace all that is good, all that is true. And so I want to live my faith to the fullest extent. So this means that I love our Blessed Mother. I love the saints. I love the Eucharist. It also does mean that I love to serve the poor. I take, every single year, I take about 70 high school students uh, down to Appalachia, and I spend a week in Appalachia uh, with these young people uh, ministering to the poorest of the poor. And so to be Catholic is to encompass it all and not to live in small little pockets. But it also means that like we shouldn't reject our past and think that somehow our past is bad. And so, I, I mean, yes, things have changed so much in the Church in my 19 years of being a priest. I mean, when I was a newly ordained priest back in 2003, you know, wearing a cassock was considered to be some sort of big political statement, and uh, it caused, you know, people to talk and conversations. Thanks be to God, I think we've moved on beyond so much of that silliness. We're, our focus is, is a lot different now, but I, I personally would find like the word like a traditional Catholic to be somewhat offensive in the fact that like, uh, there is only one way to be Catholic, and that is like to be faithful to the Church. I don't know any other way. Uh, I don't think putting political lanes on like conservative or liberal, I don't think those actually really ever do much good. But we are called to embrace it all. Uh, so we as Catholics should be living the fullest, the fullness of the faith in all that we're doing. Like That is what it is to be uh, Catholic. You're either lukewarm or you're living it to the full. And uh, I don't think it's about a political spectrum. You know, I think I agree with you because uh, all those labels are ways to divide people not to exactly. join them together. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you asked earlier, before we started the show, you asked like who my favorite, my, fa- my favorite saint is. And my favorite saint is St. John Vianney, and he's a saint that gets rejected by a lot of people because he has been labeled. He's been labeled as an extremist. He's been labeled as one who did physical mortifications and spent 14 hours in the confessional, so that because of that, we need to push him away. But if you actually look at the life of St. John Vianney, he founded an orphanage. He taught children every single day catechism in the church building. He lived his life in union with the poor and for the poor. And so when we think about these two, often you know, the, 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 the two extremes we look, at, we look at is like a priest who loves the liturgy and loves the Blessed Sacrament is on one end of the spectrum, and the other end of the spectrum is the priest who loves social work and loves, you know, revitalizing communities and being with people on the peripheries. And that dichotomy is just not true. In the lives of the saints, it's the both and. 
And that's what you see in the life of St. John Vianney, you see it in the life of Dorothy Day, you see it in the life of Mother Teresa, and we have to allow ourselves to embrace the fullness of the truth. It's not either or, it's both and. I get that. Amen. And yeah. um, St. John Vianney was, um, and he is a special saint for priests, but uh, I understand that that might be one of your favorite sacraments as well. I do. I love hearing confessions. I love celebrating uh, Holy Mass. We do, a, we do a really beautiful thing. I'm here with another priest, Father Dan Mayen. We do two times a month, two Fridays out of the month, we spend 12 hours in the confessional. We call it 12 hours of grace. So two Fridays out of the month, people know that they can go to confession from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And it has just been a huge outpouring of conversion and renewal, but also a great habit forming for individuals to know that that is available to them. And yeah, so I'm clearly not spending 14 hours a day in the confessional, but uh, doing what I can to, to bring people back to the the Lord through that sacrament, without a doubt. What is the most joyful thing to you about that sacrament? Yeah, so I think it's, it's, it is, it, that is what it is. It's when someone comes and you can, you can sense the burden and the weight, and then you experience the freedom with them. That is, it, it's true liberation. And you, yeah, you, you can, you can almost feel it. It's powerful. You are a noteworthy person, a noteworthy priest, um, and you're probably more used to media than to most uh, people because you have a lot of YouTube videos out there. Uh, so you're known throughout the archdiocese, but also throughout the whole state and country and maybe and prob- probably internationally. What is your feeling about that ministry and, and how you reach people with media? I think a great question could be asked if our Lord came in the year 2022, how would he try to preach the gospel to all nations? And I think that would be through individual relationship. I think it would be through the preaching of the gospel in person. But I think he would also be incarnate in the flesh, which means that he would also be engaged in the way that we communicate in our world today. Fulton J. Sheen clearly set a pattern and a model. St. Maximilian Colby, who's one of the patron saints of communication and of radio evangelization, said, you know, the mass media, whether it be through print, through the printing press or whether it through be through radio, this is part of the new evangelization. We cannot expect people to come into our buildings to encounter the Lord. It's great if they do, but we also have to be willing to go out. And we can go out in so many different means today. I can do that by going to the grocery store, going to the gas station, going to the ballpark. I can do that, but also I can do that by turning on a camera and talking and preaching the gospel. COVID-19, of course, accelerated all of that in really profound ways. Not only the publication uh, and the transmission of mass, which you know had been happening long before COVID nineteen, when we were looking at EWTN and a lot of the other great ways that uh, the mass has been put on the radio or put on television or put on to YouTube, but also just the ability to do catechesis. So we we run regular programs now here at the parish. We actually have a full time position 
uh, individual on our parish staff that's in charge of electronic evangelization, and she's in charge of editing videos, maintaining all of our cameras, and running all of our content. So electronic evangelization is, I think, it's, it's, it's part of what we should be doing as a church right now. Not even just like, it's not even just the video aspect. So we run, at our parish, we run, I'm, I'm running currently a push-up challenge online. I have over 300 people that are doing a push-up challenge with me. Uh, it's this crazy challenge that we came up with where you do a push-up on January 1st, two push-ups on January 2nd, three push-ups on January 3rd, four push-ups on January 4th. So on December 31st, you'll be doing 365 push-ups. And so, like, I send out, mo- there's, like, motivations that go, like, so, but that's, we consider that to be an online ministry that we offer through the parish. But those, the, the, the devotions that go along with it are inspirational, they're spiritual, but it's also then feeding the body as well. So online evangelization is, is key. It has to always be rooted in personal relationships. It always has to be, you know, we, we, I wasn't ordained a priest to, you know, to be an online personality. I was an ordained priest to the sacraments can't be tr- transmitted online. We realized that through COVID, right? Um, right. But there is, there is good that is there. And for greater engagement in a world that has moved online, we should be there as well. We're talking today to Father Jonathan Meyer of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio. And I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio. Building faith, building vocations. This is Gordon Smith, and we're talking to Father Jonathan Meyer of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis on Sons of Melchizedek. And before the break, we were talking about electronic media and evangelization through YouTube and, and other, other ways to get the word out. And Father was talking about push-up challenge that they have that sounds a lot of, like a lot of fun. It's, this is something that uh, blossomed through COVID because uh, we had, we couldn't, we were locked out. We couldn't get into the parishes for a while. It was shocking to some people. Those people did turn to the internet and uh, we figured out how to put the mass onto our big screen in the living room off of our cell phones and laptops. And we did all that, but it wasn't quite the same, was it, Father? No, and it should always be made very clear that Attending Mass online is not attending Mass. It exists for some good purposes. It's good, particularly for the homebound, the sick, those in hospitals and nursing care facilities, those who are unable to come out of their home. It also is good. Uh, I have many people that follow our Masses online. They go to Mass at their parish, but it might be possible that their parish doesn't have music ministry, or they don't have well-trained servers, or the preaching is not what they would like it to be. They go to Mass to attend the Holy Sacrifice, to be present on Calvary at the Mass. They go to Mass to receive our Lord and Holy Communion. They go to Mass to be with their parishioners. But they also want to come and watch maybe a Mass that they might consider to be more edifying liturgically. And so that, that, that's all a good thing. 
but we really should be physically present at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. We really should be receiving our Lord in Holy Communion. That is what our Lord desires. He did not come via uh, the Internet. He came via the flesh. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's an important thing that you bring up there, because that's uh, how we receive the sacrament of Jesus Christ. Uh, but in the next two years, we're having a Eucharistic revival and conference in Indianapolis this year, and for the first time in many, many, many years. That Do you have any special plans at your parish for Eucharistic procession or other events of that nature? Well, we have, uh, in our county, we have five uh, Corpus Christi processions that we do, all in conjunction with the Feast of Corpus Christi. We also host what is known as the Intense Catholic Youth Conference, which is a three-day event for high school youth. This year is actually on Corpus Christi weekend, the 9th, 10th, and 11th of June here in Dearborn County. We've had 600 young people attend uh, the conference the last two summers. We call it in tents because the young people actually camp in tents. Uh, so we call it the Intense Youth Conference. That way we don't have to worry about hotels and all the costs that's involved with them. And the retreat is actually hosted for the most part outside. So there's information about that. You can go to intenseyouthconference.com. Also, I, uh, we we're very blessed to have a perpetual adoration chapel at All Saints Parish. And we are actually looking at, at founding another perpetual adoration chapel at St. Mary's in Aurora uh, during the National Eucharistic Revival. So hopefully we will see that beginning, hopefully, in the next three years. We also just extended adoration. We now have three days of the week on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, where there are 12 hours of adoration in the three other parishes that Father Mayne and I are pastors of besides All Saints. So, yeah, a lot of great things happening with the Eucharist, which is our Lord, which is what it is really all about. That is the source and summit. Are there things that people in your parish can do, or maybe not do, that make your life as a priest easier? The greatest thing that my, par- my parish, my parishioners do, and I'm not trying to just you know sound like the nice priest, but my parishioners pray a lot for me, and my parishioners fast for me, and prayer and fasting does amazing things. I would also say my parishioners use their best ability, and one of my little phrases that I say all the time is that your best ability is availability, and we run our parish off very, very few paid employees. Our parish is run mainly off of uh, dedicated volunteers who give of themselves to the parish and to her ministries. And so they use their best ability, which is making themselves available to to whatever it is the, the Spirit is leading us in. And I would, I would just add with that as well, like my parishioners also are constantly open to seeking best practices and trying to find new ways to look at things from different perspectives. So we, I believe that one of the phrases that isn't said enough in the Catholic Church is that normal is toxic. Clearly, if we look at the Catholic Church right now, uh, we are, it is toxic. Like, what's happening in the Church is not good. Like, we are, numbers are down, attendance is down, uh, and we, but we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And that's the definition of insanity. And so I think one of the easiest things to embrace is that normal is toxic, and we need to look for new ways to evangelize, communicate, and promote 
and encourage and to foster uh, faithfulness and livelihood within the church. Well, thank you for your vocation. Uh, you do a, a superb job of doing those things that you just mentioned. So back to the vocation story that you have. There are parents listening right now that have boys that are of that age where they might be thinking about a vocation. Uh, are there certain things that those parents should do or encourage or not encourage to encourage a vocation in that young man? Great question, Gordon. I would first, number one, fast and pray for your son. Number two, be not afraid. People often think that the life of a priest is lonely or a, you know, overburdened or too hard work. And I just like, the, the priesthood is amazing. There's studies on the priesthood, and they have the, the happiness rates of priests, the satisfaction rates among priests is at the top of all professions. It's not a profession, it's a vocation. So do not be afraid. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful, good life. And then I would say, get them talking to priests. Help them to get to know priests. There is a fear in our world uh, because of, I think, the abuse crisis about allowing young men to have relationships with priests. Uh, invite priests over to your home for dinner, sure. uh, where you're able to be with them, with the priest, uh, so they can gr- grow in a relationship with them. Um, and then I would also just say, like, make sure your young, your, your young person is engaged in living out the faith daily. So you are the first seminary as parents, and so how are you forming your... And this should, this should actually be any parent, not just a parent of a, a young man who has a young man who wants to be a priest, but like, how are you forming that young man to be a Catholic who lives their faith to the full? So does your, does your son go to confession on a regular basis? Does your son go to adoration? Does your son uh, have good Catholic friends? Like Those are all questions I would hope that you would be like, well, gosh, I hope that my priest hears confessions and goes to confession. I hope my priest prays in front of the Blessed Sacrament and encourages adoration. I hope that my priest faithfully teaches and faithfully preaches and wants us to know the faith to the full. I hope that my priest has good priest friends and is involved in priestly fraternity. So those are things that I should be actually forming in the life of my young Catholic uh, that is entrusted to my care. And we need to encourage young men to be true men, uh, real men that respect women, that respect their their mother, uh, respect the holy uh, things of the Church, and our Blessed Mother as well. Um, That's something this society seems like it's uh, emasculated men in many ways, and no, it's very, it's very, very true, stuff. Gordon. The, 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 one of the biggest problems, the crises that we have in our world right now is, is fatherhood. It's a crisis that we have in marriage. It's a crisis. Uh, I see it. I'm a, I'm a coach, and I see it among peers. Uh, the anger and the way that men even like treat other men is, it, it scares me. Like, what happens in your home? Like, if that's how you act when you lose a, a football game, what do you do when your wife or your child does something wrong at home? Like, how are we teaching our men to be men of virtue and of valor and of truth? How are we teaching them to, like, what is their language? What is, but, but also, like, yeah, how do they treat women? How do they look at women? Uh, what is their 
can they can they even enter into a relationship with someone, or is their whole life spent on the internet where they don't even have human relationships? Those are all like human formation aspects. Like, is is my son able to engage humanity? Those are powerful questions. But yeah, the the, the respect of women and the respect of chastity and purity and is huge. Well, I know ladies that are treated with respect and dignity may or may not show uh, their appreciation, but I know inside they really do appreciate that. So we do need to raise up as men and be strong, virtuous men that show a good example to our sons. And you do that as a, as a father of your flock. So thank you for that in your vocation. And you mentioned something a moment ago about men that are on the athletic field. What, what do you do as your hobby? So I coach in my 12th year of coaching cross-country and track at the public high school. I coached for several years in Jennings County prior to coming to Dearborn County. I've been at East Central. This is my ninth year coaching at East Central High School of cross on the cross-country team. And I, I find great joy, and uh, it's been a great gift, great gift. So that's a public high school, and you're a Catholic priest. Does that create any problems, or is that just uh, another blessing that the public school has that a Catholic priest would take his time to do that? I would hope that they would see it as a blessing. I hope that that's the case after nine years. But, yeah, it's, uh, so I'm at a public school every day and have the opportunity to work with really, really good young people, Catholic and not, and to form them on the field and out the, off the field as well. It's a great it's a great gift. We're talking today to Father Jonathan Meyer of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and down in Dearborn County. I want to thank you, Father, for your time today and bless your efforts down there. You have an annual um, men's conference, too, that's probably coming up again um, in several months, right? We do. We, uh, we host here at All Saints Parish what is known as the E6 Catholic Men's Conference. You can find our website online, uh, E6 Catholic Men's Conference. And it is the largest Catholic Men's Conference in the state of Indiana at this point. Uh, not, we're not trying to brag about that, but we have had the opportunity to host really, really great presenters and speakers and to enliven men uh, in the Catholic faith and to bring... Uh, non-Catholic men into the Catholic faith uh, through evangelization. Our 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 uh, conference, yeah, really strives to be an experience, not just of talk after talk after talk, which sometimes is the norm of Catholic men's conferences, but also we have mass, we have adoration, we have time for fraternity, and it really is a beautiful day. This year, the conference is February eighteenth. Uh, which, of course, is a Saturday, and that's hosted at East Central High School right inside the Indiana border on 74. Well, thank you for that conference. That's a blessing. I've been down to that before, and uh, we all, all men need to put on the armor of God to hold up that part of the Ephesians 6. Yeah, it is. Ephesians 6, yep. The E6 Catholic Men's Conference. So God yeah. bless that effort as well. Thank you again, Father, and we have been talking today to Father Jonathan Meyer of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. God bless you, and thank you for your vocation. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy.
You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.